Hey, Beyond Politics podcast listeners, this is Matt. Every week on WKXL, I get together with former two-term U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes, who is a Democrat, and our friend Alicia Preston, who is a conservative commentator, analyst, and political consultant. And we have what we hope is a reasoned and reasonable exchange on not just what's going on in the news, but some of the trends and drivers going on underneath it. And we usually put that discussion in the Capitol Close-Up podcast, which tends to feature some of the shows that focus a little bit more on what's going on in New Hampshire specifically. But the Balance of Power show really is a national-focused discussion and really enjoyed this week's show and wanted to bring it to all of our Beyond Politics podcast listeners. So thanks very much for listening and subscribing and hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Balance of Power Roundtable, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, joined as always by former two-term U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes and conservative commentator, analyst, and consultant Alicia Preston. As we record this on Tuesday, June 14th, 2022, news has continued to develop through the weekend and through the day that there is likely going to be a deal. There's at least a framework in place for some kind of legislation relating to guns in America. We talked about this theme on the show last week. I want to caution at this point that we said last week, by and large on the panel, that it was very unlikely that we were going to see legislation emerge on guns, despite the fact that there was some positive momentum in conversations happening between Republicans and Democrats in the Senate. Why did an experienced campaign consultant, political analyst like Alicia Preston, and in an actual former member of Congress like Paul Hode say, this isn't very likely. Well, first of all, because historically, it has never really panned out. And second of all, because it is awfully hard, the devil is in the details. So the caution here is what is announced is only a framework. It's an agreement in principle on what is going to happen, but now it falls to staffers. I'm a former staffer to sit down in a room and write actual text, actual provisions, actual dollars, where it's going to go, how it's going to get there, who gets to have it, and all of that is super tricky. Let me just lay out what the framework is, just in case anyone hasn't caught it yet in the news. I'm sure most people have. It's four key provisions. Enhanced background checks for buyers who are under the age of 21. Funding to incentivize states, not require, but incentivize states to pass red flag laws, where if someone appears to be a danger to themselves or others, they can be restricted in buying firearms or even have firearms taken away. The third is funding for mental health and school safety. And the fourth is closing the so-called boyfriend loophole, which right now allows people to buy guns, even if they were convicted of domestic violence against a partner that they were dating, but not married to. Paul, I want to turn to you for your reaction first. What do you make of this of this framework? What's what's your take on it? Well, first of all, the fact that that 20 senators, 10 from each side of the aisle, could work together to produce anything on guns is good news for the country. That is a real important step that shouldn't be minimized, no matter what we might think of the framework and the actual legislation that's been proposed, because it 
it says to the country that there is some seriousness and some function essentially returned to the Senate. So that's pretty good news, given the the history of mass shootings in the country and the lack of any, any legislation up to now. <clears throat> that said, I'm sure that neither the reason the sides reached a compromise is neither side is entirely happy with with everything that's in there and everything they got. And thus, you get a compromise, which is, by the way, the way progress is made. And you've got to start somewhere. So let's give the Senate at this point kudos for a good start. That's assuming this all passes, et cetera, et cetera. But let's let's not minimize that. I think the, the much stronger provisions could have been raising the minimum age to purchase certainly rifles. I would say any firearm from 18 to 21. Why should you be able to purchase a gun under the age of 21? Handguns are already subject to a federal 21 and older rule. So long rifles should be subject to that kind of provision. And of course, I'm in favor of banning assault style weapons in large capacity magazines. That said, this is important progress. Alicia? The best part of all of this right now is people are having an actual conversation. What I mean by that is in the past, one side comes out and says, this is why we need to ban guns. And the other side comes out and says, get your hands off my second amendment. And the conversation is much deeper and broader than that. Some of the points which Paul brought up. And I think finally, we're having this in a more academic or intellectual, this conversation more academic or intellectual way than just by emotion. And I think it's the only way to get things done if anything is to get done. But to both your and Paul's point, the devil is in the details and what this looks like matters. I mean, red flag laws on the face of them make perfect sense, right? Someone's, you believe strongly that someone is legitimately a danger to themselves or others and could use a gun or has a gun in order to execute whatever bad idea he's got, we want to be able to protect people from that, how it's written so that it can't be used falsely, fraudulently in a retaliatory method is actually very important. And some states have done it well, some have not. And so those details absolutely matter as to whether this is something that will get enough support to pass. The other thing with the juvenile, I think, you know, it makes perfect sense if you're 21, that if they want to do a juvenile justice check, you know, that's fair game. I'm for it. I understand the argument. A lot of people are making that if you're 18 and you can carry a weapon for your country in the military why can't you as a civilian i would argue the military is a very controlled setting a very managed setting which is very different than a 19 year old high school graduate in, in mid the midwest or wherever it's not as controlled of a setting I, i'm a little concerned and again don't know what not saying i'm opposed to it i just know what it looks like what does it mean when 18 those 21 and under will have their medical health records checked if someone's been adjudicated mentally ill in any capacity i'm all for it there's been an adjudication process but mental health records can go across a swath of things that should have nothing to do with whether someone can own a firearm. I mean, an anorexic teenager can have a mental health record. So my question would be, where are these records held? What do they have access to? And what would qualify as something preventative for a 20-year-old adult who wants to purchase a firearm for whatever reason and whose perhaps previous mental health struggles are completely irrelevant to it? So I'm open-minded. I'm glad that legitimate conversations are having beyond the extreme left and extreme right opinions on this entire gun issue. But I want to see what the details look like. Can I just add one thing? Certainly on, 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 the, on the mental health issue, one of the 
specifics apparently in this framework. And it was sponsored by my former colleague, Roy Blunt and Senator Debbie Stabin. One Roy obviously is a Republican, Debbie is a, is a Democrat, is a provision that would funnel billions of new federal dollars into mental health care and school security programs. It would fund behavioral intervention programs, a new campus infrastructure. It puts armed officers in schools. One piece of this legislation is to establish a nationwide network of community behavioral health clinics. Although the details are to be worked out, the funding level is not, is, is not agreed on. And my hope is, I obviously haven't read any of the specifics, and I think the intent is to try or to begin to get to some of those deeper issues, to make it easier to identify those people, those especially young people with behavioral issues who are crying out for help, who we see time and time and time again acting out by shooting people. So in addition to the issues around access to firearms and the use of firearms and who can buy them and who can get them. A real approach to sort of the underlying societal issues and behavioral issues. I would make three observations about this. I would characterize this not so much as a compromise, but as a best offer situation. It seems from the reporting that's emerging about the kinds of conversations that were convened, starting with Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, um, with Senator John Cornyn of Texas indicate that essentially the, the discussion here was we get that Republicans are not going to be comfortable doing what Democrats want to do. What can you do? It wasn't so much we want to do X, you want to do Z, let's compromise in the middle of Y. It was much more Republicans. Let's define the outlines of the maximum extent that you can do. And that's not necessarily a horrible thing because point number two is that Democrats are viewing this in Washington as a proof of concept, as a way for Republicans to see that getting into this territory will not kill them politically. There are many historic examples of this kind of dynamic working. For example, so the 1957 Civil Rights Act, which was fairly toothless, but which paved the way for the eventual 1964 Civil Rights Act by showing, at the time it was Democrats, that they could tread onto this territory and still survive politically. We've seen the same thing in the last 15 years when it came to marriage equality, civil rights for gay Americans, that politicians began to see that they could tread onto this territory. And our current president, Joe Biden, was part of this, part of defining the envelope, pushing the envelope a little bit further out and showing the rest of his party that it's okay to dip your toe in the water, then to put your foot in, and then to go a little bit farther. So part of the strategy and the acceptance for Democrats here of taking this admittedly, not even a half loaf, but a quarter loaf of where they want to go is, let's work with Republicans here, let's strike while the iron is hot, and let's, let's play the long version of this here, where hopefully this is just a first bite. And when we demonstrate to Republicans that they can go here without massive political blowback, we will be able to work together and get more in the future. And that kind of leads to my final point. There's a pessimistic version of this here, which is, of the 10 Republicans who have signed on to this, none of them is facing voters this year. Only one 
is up for re-election in 2024. That's Mitt Romney of Utah. There are four who are leaving Congress at the end of the year, five who are not up for re-election for another four years. So this is not the group that's coming together to support this that is showing a great deal of political courage. We may still see the vast majority of the, of the Republicans in the Senate and the House voting against this because they're not even willing to dip that toe into the water. But again, this is what's possible right now in their view, and Democrats would be wise to take them up on it because it's hopefully paving the way, even if they don't vote for it now, for Republicans to see that they can go here and it's not politically toxic for them because there are other things that could be achieved. Even right now, there are other things. Let's not forget that mass shootings are horrifying and tragic, especially when they occur in schools. But 99% of the gun deaths in this country are not in mass shootings in schools. So for example, it would be not impossible for the Senate to consider safe storage laws only two states, Oregon and Massachusetts, have safe storage laws today. Experts say that safe storage laws, where you're required to keep your gun in a safe, locked away place, would massively decrease gun deaths by suicide and accidents. So there are other things that could be done here that are not that far away from, from this measure that they're talking about now. So hopefully the way to view this is, let's get this done and it will pave the way for more progress, effective progress and bipartisan progress in the near future. Why don't we move on to the other major story that's been dominating Washington and the news over the last uh, couple of days, which is the set of January 6th committee hearings. We saw the first public hearings Thursday night. We devoted a lot of time on this show and other Beyond Politics shows over the last week to previewing what we would see, anticipating what was going to come. We had another set of hearings yesterday. By the time people listen to this, I think they will have absorbed a lot of what came out on Thursday. So I don't necessarily want to retread all of that material other than to say that while only 20 million TV viewers tuned into Thursday, it really did dominate the coverage. And so it does seem like many Americans, if not most Americans, will have absorbed something about those hearings. But I do want to turn to the kind of the whole set, the holistic view of what's happened in recent days, especially what developed yesterday. Alicia, let's turn to you first. What was your big takeaway, especially from the hearings from yesterday? Well, and I have watched about 95% of the hearings thus far, and I will hope to continue to have the opportunity to do so. I'd like to tell you I was surprised by a lot of it, but I wasn't. I mean, we we kind of all already have the gist of what went down. What we're getting is the details behind that big picture. Bill Barr was, it, it was interesting to listen to him. It was interesting to listen to former campaign manager Bill Stepien, if I'm saying that correctly, to hear their details behind what was going on in conversation, conversation. But that kind of just takes a two-hour movie and turns it into a book instead, right? So now we're reading instead of watching the, the big film. Americans and- love to read. We do love to read. So yeah, I like to read. So we that's like good. the long version of stuff. It's the long, that, oh, that, that's clearly. Exactly it. We're getting the long version of, of what went down. And my biggest takeaway is this is changing no one's mind or having any impact on anything that happens in November. And, and I, I see it on social media. I see it in my networks where the people watching it tend to be the people who already have an opinion that is negative toward Donald Trump. And I would be willing to met 
to bet a huge majority of that 20 million people that watched it are in that pool. I don't think a year and a half later, there's a lot of people trying to scratch their head and figure out what they think went down on January 6th. I think there's two camps, people who believe this was either a really bad riot or an insurrection, and that Donald Trump might have promoted it at least a little bit, if not in full. They're, they're on that path somewhere in that category, or people who just don't think what really happened happened and they stand by Donald Trump and he's at no fault. I think that's where we are. I don't think these hearings change anything. But I also don't want the Democrats to escape here completely. Sorry, guys. I am really displeased. And I think I mentioned this last week, but I looked into it further with how the Democrats have played this out. I'm displeased with the theatrics. I am somebody who finds that to be one of the most horrible days of modern history in the United States of America. I don't think it needed prime time theatrics. I don't think it needed an ABC executive to quote unquote produce public hearings. I don't think the January 6th committee should have its own Twitter feed or page, whatever you call it on Twitter. It just, it oozes of everything that Donald Trump's biggest supporters have, which is that this is all a show and it's all a witch hunt. The other thing I think is, I think Nancy Pelosi is shaking her head, realizing she made a big mistake, not letting Jim Jordan and Jim Banks on this committee because we're watching that there is no opposition. There is no cross-examination. They were only two of them. Had she let them on, even if they were an opposing concept or view, if you've got that much overwhelming evidence, and it appears you do, they're just two votes. You could have let them on and saved that entire narrative about how biased this committee is. And I think it was a huge PR mistake, to be honest. Paul Hodes, before you became a member of Congress and an assistant attorney general, you had a background in theater and you were having a little bit of a facial reaction to Alicia's comments. Do you think that these have been too theatrical? And what was your overall reaction? I couldn't disagree more with my esteemed colleague and friend from the other side of the aisle. First of all, these we, we're living in a visual society. And by that, I mean a visual media society. It's happened in all, in all phases of media. And to have somebody who's giving some advice to the normally really incompetent, staid, boring members of Congress about how to make presentation coherent, comprehensible, and accessible by a wide swath of the public is not just theatrics. It's simply a reasonable, a reasonable approach to good communication. So kudos to the committee for figuring out some good communication. Because while while Alicia Preston, who is a knowledgeable political observer and follower of the news, may poo-poo anything that's being revealed. To the vast majority of Americans, this is new and shocking evidence that is connecting in a very powerful way what people have been saying with real evidence. And as for the choice of committee members, and the refusal to seat the disruptors that Kevin McCarthy wanted to put on the committee, all that has been accomplished uh, is to remove from the committee the kind of Jim Jordan antics that we saw during the impeachment trial, because Republicans in general, those certainly in Congress, have not shown that they're able to deal with important issues in a professional way. There are two Republicans on the committee, and in fact, the witnesses that we heard from yesterday were senior Republican officials, cam senior Republican campaign officials, senior Republican attorneys. So the case that is being made by this committee is being made through the 
eyes, ears, and statements of, of Republicans. So it's hard to call this a partisan witch hunt of, of any kind. And the tone that the committee is taking, even including the tone Zoe Lofgren took last night on, on MSNBC, is, is one of, it's a measured tone. In, in fact, is not a partisan tone. It is a very careful approach in terms of both the process and presentation. So on, on the process, I entirely disagree with Alicia. She wishes it was so that this was a bald theatrical enterprise, but that's not what America is getting. And in fact, a recent political poll came out the just this morning showing that a vast majority of Americans, 70% of Democrats, approximately a 64% of independents, either strongly or either definitively or strongly think that members of the government who sought to overturn legitimate election results should be prosecuted by the DOJ. And what this committee has done, in, even in just these first two days, is to show that Trump's big lie was not the product of some insanity or psychosis. It was mendacity and grift. He knew that he was creating a lie. He created that lie anyway. There was a wide-ranging conspiracy, and not all the points have been connected, that started uh, in even before the election. We'll see whether the, the close tie-in between the conspiracy and the January 6th insurrection occurs, but Trump and his senior people knew what was going on. They did it anyway. And the fascinating thing that I had not focused on until yesterday was the what should not have surprised anybody, which is Trump being Trump. He has lied, cheated, and stolen his entire life. And the idea behind, a part in part, this conspiracy was to then raise a quarter of a billion dollars from small donors and steal the money by fraudulently not using it for the purpose to which it was intended. That's just Trump being Trump. And maybe finally, maybe, finally, maybe he'll be hoist on his own petard. You know, the best part about this show is that it works no matter how we slice it. When I, as a kind of center Dem, disagree with my Republican colleague, Alicia Preston, it's great radio. People like it when Republicans and Democrats disagree. When we agree, it's great radio because people like in this day and age to hear some, some respect, and, and common ground and kind of delightful and playful back and forth. And the best part, the best part is when I get to disagree with Paul Hodes, who is also a Democrat, a little further to the left than I am, and he's my former boss and I get to tell him, Paul, you're wrong. You're just flat out wrong. And oh, I wanna do that this time around, but I can't, it's version one. Alicia, I gotta say, I agree with Paul on this one. Here's the thing. You are in the top 1% of the top 1%. You're the elite, my friend. You are the elite. You are an elite information consumer. So the fact that all of this doesn't need to be painted out for you, unfortunately, is not reflective of the rest of the country. You know all this. And as a Republican, you are in the tiny, tiny, tiny sliver who not only knows all this, but gets it and agrees already. For the vast majority of people out there, 
they have not seen these dots connected and doing so in a compelling way, a visual way, mostly with video, mostly with Republican leaders that they have seen before, like Ivanka Trump in their own words, connecting these dots is meaningful. And it's not meaningful in a, are Democrats going to win the midterm sense? We talked about this last week. If the objective here deep down for Democrats is we're going to use this to win the midterms, they're going to fail. They're going to come up short because you are right about that piece. This is not going to change people's minds in a significant way. In that same poll that Paul just cited, we find that only 32% of Americans say that the revelations of the January 6th committee are going to have a major impact on their vote. Most of those people were already voting the way they were going to vote. And as our recent guest, the noted economist Mark Zandi pointed out, you can get a third of Americans to agree with anything in a poll. Aliens are visiting us. The Loch Ness Monster is real. Aliens and the Loch Ness Monster are visiting us. So that doesn't tell us a lot. This is not about the midterms, nor should it be. This is about the longer and very valuable proposition of getting the people who are involved in a plot, in a conspiracy to overturn American democracy, to stage a constitutional coup, to overcome the government and the peaceful transfer of power in America, getting them thrown out of the ball game. This is about the saying to them, you're out. Now, we talked about the big, the big, big one here, which is, will Donald Trump be prosecuted? Should he be prosecuted? I remain of mixed mind on that. We are going to have one of the top prosecutors in the country on Beyond Politics next week. So people, subscribe to Beyond Politics now. Seriously, do it now while you're listening to us, unless you're in the car, don't do that. But subscribe wherever you get your podcast because we are getting one of the top experts on this. What the committee is showing, what they're establishing in a legal sense right now is a legal concept known as willful blindness, which is, you cannot use ignorance as a defense if it is intentional ignorance. If you are closing off your eyes and your mind to an obvious truth. And what I think the committee showed in devastating fashion yesterday, which is why this is so valuable, is that that is exactly what Donald Trump was doing. The people around him, with the exception of the visibly inebriated Rudy Giuliani, we're all coming to him, saying trusted voices, voices that Democrats hate most of the time. We're coming to Donald Trump behind the scenes and saying, there's no evidence for this. This is over. And even if he fooled himself in the immediate, immediate aftermath of November 4th, 2020 into questioning, maybe there was something going on with, with the results here. 60 federal judges slapped down or laughed out of court every contention that there was fraud. By December, it was demonstrated beyond any reasonable doubt that his whole big lie was that, a big lie, and he had to know it. If you have that kind of consideration in advance that you are perpetrating a fraud on the American people and you're trying to obstruct the Congress, or as the former impeachment advisor, legal advisor Daniel Goldman said, the case is even stronger not for obstructing Congress or seditious conspiracy, but just conspiring to impair the lawful function of government, which is a crime and for which there's ample evidence. What the committee has done is demonstrate that that is what was going on. And it was going on in a very premeditated way 
from Donald Trump and the people around him. So the value here to me is that anyone involved in this, as the public clearly supports, should not have a future place in public life. If the committee can keep this forward looking, then this effort will be a success. The final thing I'll say is I also disagree with you, Alicia. I don't think Nancy Pelosi regrets not letting the, the crazies onto the committee because this is a clear, compelling, fact-based, in their own words, set of information being given to the American people without the water muddying. I think if anyone is regretting themselves right now, it's Kevin McCarthy for not participating in this and having a role in munging up what the Democrats are putting forward so effectively. A few things. Number one, I, I don't agree. I think Nancy Pelosi, she's a smart woman. I don't like her. I don't like her politics, but the woman is smart and she's savvy. And I think having the ability to say this is truly bipartisan, I understand there are two Republicans on there, but they aren't partisan Republicans. And the ability to say both sides had their time would have given it a huge boost in credibility to those who don't want to believe it, but aren't stuck in the sand on both sides. I, I, can I just, can I just, can I respond briefly and politely to that point? I want you to imagine the circus that this would have become with somebody like that jerk, Jim Jordan, making stupid remarks of the kind that he made during the impeachment, yelling at witnesses, bullying, trying to interrupt, trying to make sure that this presentation went nowhere. I want you to imagine how that would then be able to, to present this evidence. It just would not have been possible, Alicia. So what you've got is two Republicans of conscience, two Republicans who are actually in the Alicia Preston school of the Republican Party, who are able to hold up their side of the equation and present a bipartisan statesman-like, stateswoman-like approach to the most serious threat to our democracy since the Civil War. There has been nothing like this in American history. This is the first time a crooked grifter has been elected president, tried to use his office to steal from his followers and to Richard destroy Nixon. American democracy. Oh, so, sorry. I, I was having a Watergate of a cough there. Yeah, that's a Watergate cough. Anyway, so so don't tell us that they should have put the 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 disruptors on this committee that would have been just a circus instead we're getting evidence we're getting evidence that will always be perceived as bias now matt brought up something else and that is the potential prosecution of donald trump i believe i've said this before and despite what i think of that day and despite what i think of what led up to it i think it would be a huge mistake to criminally prosecute donald trump and here's why you're never going to get a jury that 100 convicts so he's not going to be found guilty there will be an at least one person who just doesn't want to see the president of the united states of america going to jail i would probably be that person on the jury too i think it'd be terrible for the country i think it'd be dangerous for the country i think the long-term effects of that would do more damage than good to the country. I think lessons can be learned without the prosecution of Donald Trump. I'm not a lawyer, so I can't tell you, maybe Paul can, what statutes may or may not have been broken and how that works and what the committee's looking into. I'm not looking at it from a legal perspective. I'm looking at it for at it from a good of the country perspective. I don't think he'd ever get convicted and I don't think he'd ever go to jail for the reasons I said. And all it would do is further divide potentially to a very 
dangerous, dangerous way, this country even further. Can I ask, can I ask for your professional opinion on that? Actually, just Alicia, to press that a little further. An interesting thing happened over the weekend, which is right after the first set of public hearings on Thursday, the two, whatever Fox News is doing, there are two other right-wing media outlets owned by Rupert Murdoch. The Wall Street Journal, well, there's many more than this, but two prominent ones in the US, Wall Street Journal and the New York Post. And I wanna quote from the editorials that came out in response to Thursday's hearing. Wall Street Journal, Mr. Trump betrayed his supporters by conning them on January 6th, and he is still doing it. New York Post, Trump has become a prisoner of his own ego. He can't admit his tweeting and narcissism turned off millions. He won't stop insisting that 2020 was stolen, even though he's offered no proof that it's true. Meanwhile, reports that Trump was pleased that the January 6th crowd chanted for Vice President Mike Pence to be hanged, a truly reprehensible sentiment, makes him unworthy for the office. Trump can't look past 2020, let him remain there. So I guess my question is, to your last point, Alicia, Let's agree. And I'm, I'm consider me open-minded on this point. I think you make a compelling argument. I really do. I, I am of mixed mind on whether politically Donald Trump should be prosecuted, but what kind of, if he were to be prosecuted, how do you see that playing out in the Republican party? Because it does seem like there is a, there's a fault line here around January 6th and the big lie and organs that are generally media organs I don't mean like internal organs that are generally pro-Trump and have defended him, have turned against him on this point and do not believe that he's fit to seek office again. How do you see that divide playing out if a prosecution were to move forward? Well, I mean, it's a complicated question. First of all, does he have a political future? I, I maintain he's not going to run. I don't know why he would. I, I, I just don't see it. I mean, based from his age, from everything that's going through, he's thrown his own daughter under the bus at this point. His pool of support in his inner circle has shrunk dramatically. I, I, I do not, and I maintain this, and I could be totally wrong. Most people think I am. I do not think he's going to run, and therefore the idea of him holding political office in the future is, is kind of irrelevant. But if he were to run in 2024... I also don't think he would win. And that in part isn't because of all these details that are now coming out in what is the book version of January 6th and the days leading up to it. It is because people are tired enough. There was too much going on. It was exhausting. It was an exhausting four years. Even for those who adore Donald Trump, we'll admit it was an exhausting four years. And I don't think middle America, if he were to run, which I don't think he's going to, would vote for him again. So we've taken off, in my opinion, off the table is his political future and ability to hold office. I think the divide within the Republican Party would be massive and be dangerous. I think we would see things like January 6th, the riots happening across the country. I think the prosecution of Donald Trump would be perceived by millions, while a small percentage of the country, millions are a lot of people, as a political persecution. And I think what we're seeing now is Republicans afraid to speak out, right? They're afraid to speak out against January 6th, or they're afraid to speak out in opposition to some of the things Donald Trump did. And I mean, I hold back because of fear of retribution. The same will hold at that time. And so you will have a silent majority of Republicans, which is what I think we have now, of people who are not comfortable with what happened on January 6th, who would like 2020 to be behind us. But there is a large cabal of people who have a bigger voice from a smaller microphone. And I think it would the landscape 
of what it would look like if Donald Trump were prosecuted, quite simply, as I said, does more damage to this country than good. I just wonder, though, I mean, that's a that's a great that's a great analysis. I think you're I think you're right, except on the conclusion. I'm not quite there yet, because just as we were getting on the air, there was a new analysis from The Washington Post stating that more than 100 Republican primary winners back Donald Trump's false election fraud claims. And so the split, I, I agree with the way you characterize the split. There's probably a larger silent minority that is not cool with all that, but they're not voting with their feet. They're not, they're not standing up to this movement within the party. And what I fear is that even if Donald Trump does not run, we're already seeing the spooling out after effects of the big lie, people buying into it, using it as a grievance movement to organize around some pretty, some pretty out there stuff that I, I think even mainstream Republicans are not, not cool with. And so genie may be out of the bottle. I, I, I just wonder if the argument that sways me to the other side, and Paul, I'm going to turn to you on this because I, I, I think that you're pro-prosecution, but if the evidence is there, but tell me if I'm wrong. The argument that sways me is the, the blowback that Alicia is pointing to, it's already happening. The divide is already there. The, the pro-big lie MAGA Republican set is already ascendant. I'm not sure, phew, famous last words, I'm not sure that it's going to get worse if Donald Trump is prosecuted. And that might be the only path forward, not only as Kim Whaley was saying, the legal analyst Kim Whaley was saying on Beyond Politics last week, not only to make sure that this kind of behavior never happens again, but that it never happens again from this specific human being and the cabal around him so that he is barred from holding public office in the future. So he literally can't become president again. Paul, what, what, do, you, what do you think? The effects of the wide-ranging Trump-led conspiracy are still happening and are going to continue to happen. As Matt pointed out, we have 100 primary Republican primary winners who are big lie advocates. We have the spineless Republicans refusing to acknowledge the damage to our democracy and continuing in, in their ways. So, so let's not, as, as Matt points out, I agree with him totally. The divide in this country is serious and deep. Whether Trump is prosecuted or is not prosecuted, there's going to be blowback either way from, from the various constituencies. Turning to the crimes of Donald Trump, there, there's a legion of them. What the committee, I think, is really laying out before us is a RICO conspiracy, which is racketeering. The Trump crime family which operated it apparently with impunity in New York, is essentially a group of mobsters. He conducted himself in the presidency like a mobster. He is a mobster who, ought to, who could be prosecuted for RICO violations. He can be prosecuted for fraud with taking the money from his campaign. He can be prosecuted for impeding the legitimate work of Congress in, in the transition. There are numbers of possible crimes Let's not go on too long here about whether it's good or bad for the country. We are a nation of laws, and no person is above the law. That is another essential tenet of our society, of our civilization, and our democracy. Well, it's a, it's a fascinating question that I think we're going to end up returning to over and over. And let me 
use this moment to give a preview. We're going to have Barbara McQuaid, well-known as an NBC, MSNBC, many other outlet, former U.S. attorney, prosecutor. She's a, she's a legal analyst. We're going to have her on Beyond Politics next week. She's been a prolific commentator on this. She can explain all the, the legal pieces, how this would work, what kind of case is being built so far. So I just commend that to everyone. We also were going to talk about the economy on this show. We just didn't have a chance because of all of these other important issues going on. But I want to commend to our listeners the fact that we just had the noted economist, Mark Zandi, on Beyond Politics. He gave a fascinating explanation of what's going on with inflation, what's likely to happen next, what's happening with the whole economy. Are we going to have a recession or not? And he, and he gave a great breakdown of kind of the odds on, on both sides of that ultra important question for Americans. So I hope people will check that out. There's a lot more to talk about with the economy, inflation. We, we will try to turn to that next week if this week in Trump doesn't get in the way, but we hope people will subscribe to Beyond Politics to hear all of that. And with that, I should sign off. I'm Matt Robeson for Alicia and Paul. We'll see you next time on Balance of Power.